Welcome to Talkumentaries, where we'll discuss a different documentary each week. This episode, we're discussing Finders Keepers, the 2015 documentary film by Brian Carberry and Clay Tweel. The story details John Wood's attempts to recover his mummified leg from Shannon Wisnant after Wisnant found the leg in a grill purchased at a storage unit auction. It's currently streaming on Netflix. This podcast will contain spoilers, so listen at your own risk. Wow. So, Finders Keepers. Yeah. Yeah. This was crazy. Yeah, it sure was. (laughs) It unwrapped like a gift, though. I mean, like, it just attracted you with this crazy, shiny bow of a foot in a grill. (laughs) Right. And then you think, oh, this is just going to be the craziest, wackiest story in the world. And then the more they tell it, the more you start to uncover these really weird characters. Yeah. And then you get into this really poignant kind of sad story. Yeah. And I just thought there were just so many layers to it. And it was so fascinating to me. I was me a part too. of me was a little disappointed that it wasn't just an hour and a half of pure, you know, rednecky shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that wouldn't have been an honest portrayal. I, I really appreciated that they went into the psyches of the people involved here. Me too. I was really surprised at how good this film was. I had never heard of it until I was just searching around for documentaries to put on our list. And it sounded interesting. You know, you find a mummified leg on the grill and the original owner wants it back. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. But I mean, the film itself was, I felt like it was filled with empathy and Mm -hmm. it was never disrespectful. And like you said, as they delved into the backstories and we got to know the two main guys better, they both had really interesting stories. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really, really good film. Yeah. And an, a very interesting story. When I told my husband and daughter we were going to watch this, and I read them the summary on Netflix. <laughs> You know, I was like, wow, I can't wait to watch this. And I asked my husband if he wanted to watch it, too. And he he said, yeah, sure, I'm game. And I read the summary. And they both said, why would the guy not want to give the other guy's leg back? And, and I said, yeah. wait a minute. Why did he have his own leg to begin with? There's so many whys at the beginning of this. Like, how did this circumstance even come to be? It I makes know. no sense at all. Well, I know we give spoiler warnings at the beginning, but if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen this film, go watch the first six or seven minutes of the film. Mm. Uh, Because the whole time that intro was playing, my jaw was on the floor. (laughs) It really was. I could not believe that backstory of why he had his leg. So, you yeah. know, if you don't yeah, want to spoil it, the first few stop. minutes really do encapsulate it really well. And I thought, gosh, this is moving at lightning speed. How much is left to tell here? Yeah. But it was nice to kind of put the surface of the story in one nice little shot at the beginning. And then right. you dig deeper towards the end. But yeah, yeah. you're right. It does answer the initial. <laughs> he took the leg to the local Hardee's and gave it to a friend who laid it on top of the biscuits also on top of the sausage biscuits and then he had to go pick it up through the drive-thru yeah (laughs) crazy yeah and and somebody his sister or somebody said he took it and he wrapped it like a doobie (laughs) took it to hardy's i thought oh my god this whole thing is just full of the way people tell a story there is something in the south about the way people tell a story the way it uh-huh. I don't know, especially when you get these people who are just really gifted with the details and yes. embellishing here and there. And yeah, just and this is the craziest story a person could possibly tell. So right. there's no way not to just pull up your seat and you know put your chin <laughs> in your hands like, ooh, tell me more. Yeah. But, um, and John Wood, whose leg it originally was, he was a great storyteller. I loved yeah. his facial expressions, his expressions, exasperation, you know, just his body language and the way he would tell the stories I thought was really sweet. He seemed like a really good, genuine guy. Yes. Yeah. And Shannon Wisnant, the man who ended up becoming owner of the <laughs> grill with the foot in it, was just a natural performer and right. just, you know, was over the moon happy to have cameras on him for any reason at all. Yeah. And so he was fascinating to listen to, too. He really was. And although a little harder to empathize with at first. At um, first. 
at first, yeah. yeah. And then you come to realize how he became the way he is, and you feel bad for him too. But so many little moments in this that just felt like perfect little hilarious sound bites. Right. And I think it's worth noting too that although they are from separate sides of the state, this occurs in North Carolina yeah. just as <laughs> I don't remember which number episode it was, but when we did Finding Miss Locklear. Right. And there was kind of a weird cast of characters in there, too. Exactly. Um, so something about North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> if you're ever passing through, never know who you're going to meet. I mean, these are colorful characters, but they're not malicious in both yes. stories. Yeah. 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 But it reminded me a lot of that, of the kind of odd people you come across when you start, <laughs> when you venture off the highway and get into these weird small communities, you know? I just, yeah, the Hardy's detail was just so strange. There was so much about it that was. But it all started with a plane crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so John Wood was <clears throat> injured in this plane crash in which his father was killed. And this was right. a small plane. You know, this wasn't like a major commercial airline or anything. Right. It was it a was small a plane. They were a pretty well-to-do family. So his foot was injured to the point where it needed to be amputated. And through that series of events, he got to keep his foot, talked to them into letting him keep it. And then became hooked on the painkillers, you know, prescribed to him for his recovery. And that's how it ended up in a grill in a storage facility that because of his addiction didn't right. keep up the payments on. Yeah. And so Shannon Wisnant, the self-described flea market entrepreneur, mm-hmm. just makes a habit of going and bidding on things. And there are people who just go to these storage facilities and pay a flat fee to get whatever surprise is inside. Exactly. And he got the surprise of a lifetime. <laughs> Yeah. But one of the first things that was so funny to me about him was in that first few minutes when they're telling the story kind of quickly, he says, so I opened up the grill and there was, he thought it was a piece of driftwood. I guess by that point it was dried and browned to the point where it looked like driftwood. And he picked it up and all this cholesterol went running down my arm. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Gross. What an odd way to pronounce cholesterol, first of all. And then second, why would you assume that's what it was? Yeah. Yuck. Uh, I know. Ooh, gross. Gosh, there's just so much because uh, I can't believe a mortician brought him the leg. The hospital gave the mortician the leg and the mortician gave him the leg, you know, and he was expecting it to just be bones. And Mm -hmm. so he didn't know what to do with it. And he ended up getting some embalming fluid and he just soaked it in it. And then he just put it in the the smoker, right? The grill. So, gosh, who knows what was flowing out of that leg by that point. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, what struck me is he said he wanted to keep the leg and use it as a memorial to his dad, which I found a little odd, too. I mean, that was his whole reason for wanting the leg. But, no, I know everyone is different. So whatever steps you need to go through to bring closure and peace, you know, since he did in some ways feel somewhat responsible for his dad's death. Mm -hmm. He felt guilty. Mm -hmm. And then Shannon wanted to charge admission or he did charge admission to see the lag. Uh He wasn't letting Mm -hmm. anyone see it unless they paid him like $5 an adult and $1 as a child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think I want to show my daughter a a leg like that that's dripping something and yeah (laughs) so gross but then at the same time throughout this thing I kept willing it to pop up on screen like let's see this thing (laughs) I know I want to see it me too you know I morbid curiosity pictures of it like at some point like stop describing it show it to me (laughs) yeah this sort of morbid curiosity about what does it look like and you're right I had forgotten there were all these steps between the surgery and John Wood coming in possession of his own foot and then his own amateur attempt to embalm it and preserve it yeah yeah there was a lot more there I'd forgotten what would you do you know if your heart is set on keeping this amputated body part and you were expecting clean bones, you know, and you, mm-hmm. I mean, what would you do? Gosh, I don't know what I would yeah, do. Yeah, you were expecting it to look like the last time you saw it, and it just looks like something yeah. from a museum. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it, you're right. It is interesting that he says he would <clears throat> wanted to keep it as a you know, memorial to his father because his father had a body that was recovered and buried. It's not like it was lost to the, yeah. you know. Yeah that it was swept out to sea or something and this is the only mm-hmm. memento he has of the crash it, it is an odd mm-hmm. thing to want to keep although i guess said, if you lose your father and literally a part of yourself on the mm-hmm. same day 
it might mean more to you than if it had been amputated because of some disease or something. True, yeah. And the field where the crash happened, his sister, I think, had put a marked stone there. And at one point in the Mm -hmm. film, he was looking through the overgrown field to try to find that. You know, it just felt like he was still just kind of searching for some peace through the whole film Mm -hmm. and uh, struggling with addiction. But, you know, as the story was told, I did feel like he was getting there at the end. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point in the film, it was brought out that he and his mother had had a falling out. And, you know, at least by the end of the film, they had reconciled somewhat. Mm -hmm. And that was good. Yeah. I actually, by the end of the film, felt more empathy for Shannon's story. Yeah. I felt like he was in more pain and maybe didn't have the resources that John had available to him Mm -hmm. uh, to deal with his pain. He was so hard, as I mentioned earlier, he was so hard to empathize with at first because you just, before you even watch this, like you said, your first question is, why would you want to keep that? Give the man his foot back. I mean, the more you find out about him and how his whole sense of self is hinged on being famous and being well-known and yeah, that this felt like his ticket to, and then that coupled with some kind of hostility towards John and his family who right. were really privileged, well-to-do people for right. at least for that area. Yeah. He'd felt kind of like he was having this opportunity taken away by somebody who didn't really need it. Yeah. And, and who had had privileges and dashed them, you know, through his behavior. Right. But he was just such a performer that you couldn't help. Even when you were starting to feel really sorry for him, he would say something and you would just be like, what? Yeah. He, there was a scene where he is in the barber chair having his hair cut and he's explaining to the docket, I guess, to the filmmaker who's filming him and then also to the lady who's cutting his hair, the whole uh-huh. situation. And he spits out this phrase about it's not a win. It's not just a win-win. It's win-win-win. And then he says the word win about 98 times in the next short sentence. And when he finally is done with it, the hairdresser kind of shoots a look at somebody else in the room like, what the hell did he just say? (laughs) It's just the strangest thing. Yeah, win-win-winning. Yeah. But I did find his backstory really sad. And um, mm-hmm. found it interesting that, you know, how when we talked about there's something wrong with Aunt Diane and Diane Schuler being affected so greatly by her mother, this film, on the other hand, focused on two men whose lives had been so greatly impacted by their fathers. Mm-hmm. So I found that really interesting. I mean, fathers are important, and I don't think they always get the credit for the impact that they have on our mm-hmm. lives. I felt like the way this story was told with so much empathy and kindness that it did a really good job of showing us what kind of impact fathers can have without explicitly stating that yeah I thought it was really sweet and interesting and you know how these two lives have been impacted by their fathers and then how they intersected and how these two guys interacted with each other when they worked together and you know they were going on talk shows and different things they went on Jerry Springer together at one point yeah they went to Germany which that was the one time they did reveal the mummified leg you know yeah. he was on yeah. stage holding it and John Wood did say that at that point he felt no better than Shannon because he was basically charging people to look at his leg, you know? Uh-huh. So I think he regretted doing that, but they were kind of friendly. I mean, they weren't really combative at that point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then they, I guess, went on Judge Mathis to yeah. make a final decision about who was going to retain custody of this leg. And so Judge Mathis made that decision that, you know, the leg would stay with the original owner, but he did have to compensate Shannon for the price of the storage unit. But the interesting part about them going on Judge Mathis is, and they only showed a very small piece of that footage of them being on Judge Mathis, but he recognized that John Wood was stoned out of his mind and asked if he wanted to go to treatment. And went Mm -hmm. to a very nice facility, apparently, and has been clean and sober since then. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see the footage of how when this battle between the two men over this foot started, there was a lot of little snippets from the local news about it. And all of them, when they would kick it back to the anchors, would be looking at each other like, what? (laughs) They're fighting over a foot in a grill? What is happening? And so it was such a crazy story that it sounds like, you know, local media hopped all over it. And then it got, as you say, as far as Jerry Springer and even Germany. But I don't remember hearing about this at all when it first happened. In Me summer either. 2005, do you remember hearing a thing about it? I don't. Not at all. And I was a pretty big news consumer at that point. <laughs> like all the time watching the news. And I don't remember this at all. Yeah. Could, this would have been right before, a couple of years before Facebook and social mm-hmm. media really exploded to the masses, though. So yeah, I, I think this is the kind of thing that if it happened now, it would be in everybody's news feed. But maybe right. it was just a little too soon to explode in the way that it could have. Yeah. But there must just be people who, in on those judge shows, do they just troll local news for interesting conflicts that might play out well on television? I guess so. And also help take some of the caseload off the actual court system. (laughs) I guess so. I mean, I I had the sense, or maybe I've read somewhere before, that they have production assistants or whoever does that for a TV show that kind of look into local small claims courts Mm -hmm. to see if there are interesting circumstances that would be, you know, that would play out well on television. Yeah. And so somebody really hit the jackpot (laughs) with this one. You know, if you're going through and it's like, oh, a fender bender, oh, somebody didn't pay their plumbing bill, uh, the usual stuff. And it's like, man wants his foot back. (laughs) Okay. That's (laughs) a keeper. Put a star next to that one. I know. Goodness. And I guess those shows are still on. I haven't watched any of those in a long time. I remember People's Court used to be on, and then there was Judge Judy, and then I yeah. don't pay any attention anymore, honestly. But I guess yeah, still I don't around. either. My mom used to love watching the People's Court. Yeah, when we I used was to a watch kid. it. Yeah. I know one of the hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, Throwing Shade, one of the hosts on there, Brian Safi, is obsessed with Judge Judy. So oh, really? So she's still on? Sometimes I. Yeah, I guess she is. Or maybe he just watches it in syndication. I don't know. But he adores Judge Judy. So sometimes I get to hear about her from him. I don't even know when any of them come on anymore. But maybe we should be paying closer attention if they're finding interesting things like this. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) You know, each one would be like a little mini documentary. Seriously. That's true. (laughs) We could just do a podcast on Judge Judy episodes. (laughs) Sweetie, spin off. There was something interesting I was reading, well, just as a follow-up to things that happened after the documentary. There's a podcast called In the Mouth of Dorkness, and they had Shannon on for one of their episodes. And Mm -hmm. he said up front that he was not happy with how he was portrayed in the film. So Really? Yeah, he said, uh, I disliked it from the first time I seen it, quote, unquote. (laughs) And then he went on to say it could have been 10 stars instead of (laughs) 8.8. Oh, my. (laughs) He felt like it was edited to make him not look as good as he could have looked. Therefore, you know, he could have, I guess, gotten more publicity and fame out of the documentary. Now, Um, see here, I thought the whole time he's finally finding the fame that he was after this whole time. Yeah. And... You know, he didn't, he obviously didn't mind his fame being hinged on a mummified foot. So, right. The other sad thing is that he suffered a fatal heart attack in November of 2016. Hmm. He passed away. He died in November of last year. And John Wood is fairly active on Facebook. And in my Facebook stockiness, I read (laughs) some of his stuff last night. I don't know. He just seems like a good energy kind of guy. Even throughout the film, I didn't feel like he was malicious towards Shannon in any way. He just wanted his leg back and didn't really understand Mm -hmm. all the hoopla. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But he had posted a tribute about Shannon just after his death. And Hmm. so John Wood, he has two pages. One is his public figure page, and then another is his personal page. And they're both fairly open from all appearances. I'm not sure he may have other hidden posts on his personal page, but he did also have a lot of public stuff on his personal page for those of us who enjoyed the documentary. On his public figure page, he did say, I only met Shannon one time outside of a press conference or a studio set, yet I feel as though we got to know each other quite well. 
After Finders Keepers release and after the fanfare subsided, I made a phone call to Shannon, not to make peace or cut a deal or start getting rich today, but to offer him the chance to get what was freely given to me, serenity, sobriety, and a chance to just laugh at what had, quote, perspired between us. <laughs> 18 months passed and Shannon and I chatted regularly. I would send him texts of crazy stuff I saw on my job at the landfill and some of the good junk I found, etc. Shannon would share stories of his past junk collections with me and we dreamed about starting a new reality show. Quote, it's not junky, it's funky. Unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Over time, Shannon began to confide in me. Almost every conversation had a somber moment with him crying. I did my best to just listen. I had heard that cry before. It was very familiar. It was reminiscent of myself just a few years ago. I had a trained ear, so to speak. Most of the time, I could let him vent and then try and change the topic back to something humorous, and we would cry again with laughter, always ending on a happy note. He almost always told me that I was his only friend now, the only person that could give him a little light in a day of despair. With that, I ask, just how godly is this arrangement? Shannon's one-time arch-nemesis had become, in the end, his greatest confidant. Shannon and I will always be intertwined, and I admit, as I write this, I shed a tear of both sadness and joy. It's with mixed emotions that I bid farewell. R.I.P. Shannon Wisnant, a.k.a. Footman. So I thought that was wow. really sweet and That's very beautiful. Telling. Yeah. But, I, you know, I had that vibe watching the documentary, too, that they really didn't feel a lot of ill will towards each other. They both just had different ideas for this leg. <laughs> yeah. And you could sense as it went on, you could sense a lot of sadness under all the bluster and performing yeah. of Shannon, that he was not a happy man. Right. But that's really sad that his life has ended, although I can't say it's surprising that it ended from a heart attack. He just seemed like he was so boiling over with, you know, he just... Yeah, and he was overweight and smoked, at least on camera, you know, he did. And he just seemed red all the time. You're right. And like you said, constantly frustrated and boiling over, yeah. Wow. And so John Wood is working at a landfill. He is. He, I can't remember the name of it. It's on his Facebook page, but he, I guess, Uh does uh, the recycling at the landfill. Really interesting that they, in the later years, bonded over sharing found objects, which is what the whole thing is based on, the weirdest found object ever. That's right. And. So when I was making my notes for this, it made me think of like an interesting question to ask related to this. And that is that you and I both share a fondness for thrift shops and junk stores and, you know, just sifting through things and finding what treasures there are. Mm -hmm. Although I have to say you have a much better eye than I do. I don't know about that. When we both went to that warehouse thing where it was like by the pound yeah the goodwill I came away with like i don't even know if i got anything <laughs> but it was like by the pound so you needed to come away with lots of stuff to really feel like you scored and you came out with just armloads of stuff old sassy magazines and just and we were looking through the same bins i just i don't know how you fared so much better than i did but anyway so it made me wonder what is the weirdest discovery that you have ever had in a thrift shop oh or wow. yard sale or something along those lines auction whatever because i can go ahead and tell you mine yeah why don't you tell me yours because i need to think (laughs) so when we first moved here we Uh went to we were doing a lot of thrift shopping my husband and i both because we had a whole house to fill up and um we went to a big thrift shop downtown and he was looking around at the furniture and i was looking around at the little tchotchkes and i came to this shelf full of you know little trinkets and whatnots Mm -hmm. and um I came upon this little porcelain trinket box, like the kind of thing your grandma would keep on her dresser and put her rings in, whatever. And it was so lovely. It had a hinged top. And I, you know, opened the top and I was greeted by a giant pile of toenail clippings. Oh. Just like a years long collection. (laughs) And startled me so badly that I shrieked and jumped back. And yeah, and I thought to this day, I wonder 
when that was donated to that thrift shop, somebody who goes through and processes things must have opened that and seen a giant pile of toenail clippings. So did yeah. they just say, this will be hilarious. I'm just going to mm-hmm. put this on the shelf and like watch all day to see who discovers it and freaks out. Because yeah. there's no way you wouldn't know that was in there. Yeah, you could not have been the first person to open that lid. <laughs> and I feel like now there must have been like a hidden camera on. I might be on YouTube somewhere with 50 other people opening that lid, dry heaving and running away. That would be funny. And so of course I went, my husband was just 20, 30 feet away in the next section over. And I was like, do you know what was in that box over there? And he's like, what? And I said, a big pile of toenail clippings. Ew. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah, go look. And I don't know why... <laughs> Why do we want other people to see the same horrible thing we just saw and not just let them take our word for it? But he was like, I'm not going to. And he, he never did go look. Oh, oh my god! That brings up a lot of questions too. Who is like painstakingly gathering up their toenail clippings, putting them in a lovely trinket box? Yeah. And then why? And then which grandchild came through and cleaned out the house after that person passed and said, We'll just send the toenail clippings with the trinket box. Yeah. It'll be like a little surprise for somebody. <laughs> and then who receives it at the thrift shop and says, yeah, we're going to put this on the shelf as is. I mean, there's just so many places where that could have been rectified. Uh, I know. That's, <sighs> it's, it's insane. I, you know, strange things. I know there have been strange things, but I'm just not a quick thinker when it comes to my memory anymore because nothing really stands <laughs> out. But I mean, I can think of like, good finds I've found, but strange things. Oh man, I don't know. Whenever I think about thrift store finds, my favorite one is, it was right before Christmas. Cause a lot of things that I find, if it's not something that I can use, I sell them on eBay. If I know mm. it's something that, you know, people are looking for. And one of the thrift stores had a ski do ashtray and so i got it for a buck 25 and sold it for 75 dollars on ebay shut up yeah i never would have dreamed but you know ashtrays are not as common anymore and this was a specific you know ski do which you know (laughs) yeah it sold for 75 bucks on ebay so I always yeah, I think just, about you that. Never can't, you, you never know what it's going to be. When I was pregnant, we hired a doula to help me through childbirth. And in one of the first meetings we had with her, she was talking about how she and her spare, she and her husband in her spare time had just started going to these auctions of storage facilities, oh, like uh-huh. the one in this movie. Right. And she told us, you know, you just pay a flat rate. They'll raise the door on it and let Mm -hmm. you just kind of look from a certain distance, but you can't poke around in there and see what's what. You just kind of have to eyeball it and decide whether it's worth spending some money on or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so she said they had gotten a lot of duds. They had gotten a lot of, you know, ones that just turned out to be somebody's old scrapbooks and really not worth anything. And they had gotten a lot of them that were like China and silverware that they could sell Mm -hmm. and make a little bit of money on. But there was one that had a bunch of books in it, and they painstakingly researched each book to see whether it was worth anything. And there was one book, it was like a knitting book or something, that was worth $500. Oh, wow. A knitting book. Why? I don't, why? Yeah. And she said that, you know, alone paid for all the ones they had bought that year and then some. Nice. I would never guess a Ski-Doo ashtray would, you know, could (laughs) return, you could... What, 75 times what you paid for it? Yeah. And that a knitting book would bring in $500. I just, yeah, and I, there's no rhyme or reason right, to it. Yeah, it sold right away. Where else are you going to buy a skidoo ashtray at Christmas time, you know? <laughs> I had it's the market so right there. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Ashtrays alone are just really kind of an oddity now. When I see one in a thrift shop, it, more and more, it seems like, oh, that's the kind of thing that's going to be to our kids. Like like when we see old medicine bottles yeah. that say heroin on them or right, right. It's just going to be such a strange moment in time. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that it was also at Christmas time and I got it for, I think, like three or four dollars at a thrift store and it was in the box. It's a Cocoa Motion hot cocoa maker. (laughs) And I sold that for $175 on Amazon. Why? Um, Why? They don't make them anymore. Apparently they're... Like if you have a stove... Yeah. Or a microwave, you've got hot cocoa. You're good. I, it made really good hot cocoa. 
<laughs> it's all these really specialized appliances I never understand. Somebody for our wedding gave us a quesadilla maker, and I'm like, we have a skillet. I don't <laughs> Yeah. And maybe it just makes really amazing quesadillas. I don't know. You're right. Um, the single or use s'mores things. makers. What? People have been doing that with sticks and fire for ages. It works just fine. Yeah, I'm not big on the single use things either. I've got be. loads of storage space and <laughs> oh, oh well. <laughs> okay, so I, I have another question for you. Okay. If your foot were amputated, would any part of you want to keep it? Do you no. feel like you identified a little bit with wanting to hang on to it? Really no. not at all? No, no. Well, you know, I'm a double amputee already, you know. <laughs> That's true. No, I mean, I had a mastectomy, double mastectomy, and no part Mm. of me wanted to ever even know what happened to those body parts, you know. Yeah. To your question, think a foot serves such a critical role in your life. I, I still don't think I would want to keep it. I've never heard of anyone else ever even asking to keep it. I don't know if that, does that happen? Yeah. I don't know how often it happens, but I feel like... This has more to do with my interest in weird, gory things, not gory, but like medical kind of things than any inherent interest in my foot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I feel like I would at least want to see it. Okay. I feel like I would at least want to just look at it. Yeah. Because like the the same kind of impulse that made me want to go to the Mütter Museum in Philadelphia. Have you ever seen pictures from that it's just medical oddities yeah. things they've removed from people and right it's just interesting so I think it has more to do with that weird part of my brain than yeah. any real interest in my foot yeah but I also will say that I did have after giving birth I really wanted to see my placenta did you and I'm not I'm not one of those people who like wanted to bring it home and like make art out of it or put it under a tree or whatever. I didn't have any interest in keeping it. I just wanted to look at it. Uh uh And I can't explain why. You didn't want to go home and like eat it in soup or anything? (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not have any recipes handy. I didn't want to just drop it in the crock pot. A placenta smoothie. (laughs) No, I don't understand any of the keeping it and eating it stuff, but I really felt like I wanted to see it. And it was I, I feel like this is gross, but I feel like it's the same impulse that like when you blow your nose, you just take a quick look to just to make sure it's not bloody or right, right. moving or, <laughs> you know, it just like I felt like it came out of me. I need to at least see it. Okay. And yeah, so I don't know. It, I, so I got a look at it and she was like, this is what it looks like. And it was stained a weird color because uh-huh. my son pooped in utero, oh, which is uh-huh, like uh-huh. his first act of super, his kids are so gross. He yeah. was gross before he was born. Um, <laughs> so she was like, it's not usually this color, but this is what it looks like. And I just kind of eyeballed it like, okay. Yeah. All right. We'll take it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that was a weird thing to ask for until the nurse looked at me like, why? <laughs> uh-huh. No. <laughs> Maybe I mean, she thought I, I was going to say, I want to take it home and make soup out of it. I don't know. Yeah. but. I think if I had had more of a normal childbirth, I may have asked for something similar and been more curious. I was really sick and had an emergency C-section. And um, I remember I was, of course, awake. But I remember the doctor apologizing to my husband for all the blood. Oh, my word. (laughs) Apparently, it was just like ponds of blood on the floor. Oh, my gosh. Was your husband getting queasy about it? Slip sliding, you know, slip sliding levels of blood. A horror movie, <laughs> and I was throwing up. I couldn't stop throwing up. And oh my God! So I wasn't really in the mood to see see anything yeah. extra. Well, you know what? I think maybe because my son was born and not in a little bit of distress, not you know major distress. He just yeah. wasn't breathing properly because of that pooping in utero. Right. He had inhaled some, and yeah, so gross. But so they had to swoop him away and suction him out and all that stuff. So I didn't get to eyeball him and you know uh-huh. coo over how cute he was when he right. first came out so I guess maybe the placenta was like the next best thing yeah <laughs> my yeah. lizard brain was like we should be inspecting something right now just right right you know, ask for whatever they can show you yeah oh <laughs> well did you bleed a lot during the c-section because of did they mention anything about your red hair being correlated to bleeding a lot during no. The surgery no because when I was in labor, uh-huh. the, there was this flurry of activity around me when we finally went to the hospital. People were yeah. hooking things up and asking all kinds of questions. And yeah. um, the nurse asked me, are you a natural redhead? 
because my hair was kind of auburny at the time. And I thought, uh-huh. well, that's a really weird question to ask me during a contraction. And um, I said, no, I, I said, no, I think I'm, you know, I haven't seen it in years, but I think it's brown. This is all Clairol. Oh. And she said, oh, okay. I have to ask because sometimes natural redheads are more sensitive to pain and more apt to bleed. Interesting. A lot. So if wow. we had to, you know, do a C-section or something uh-huh. and, you know, or if you continued without an epidural, we would mm-hmm. know why you were in so much pain. Wow. And I had no idea that those two things were correlated. I never all. heard that. I have heard redheads could be more sensitive to pain. I personally am not that sensitive to pain. I have a pretty high pain threshold, but yeah, I don't know why there was so much blood. <laughs> I was kind of <laughs> out of it. I have no idea, honestly. It's just your daughter making an entrance. I just guess. <laughs> and it was <laughs> just kind of a... memorable. Yeah. But I was just happy to have her out and healthy at that point. So... Yeah. I could throw yeah. up. and didn't matter, you know. So. What's a little barfing? Exactly. We're all, yeah, we're all healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Might as well kickstart that uh, post-baby weight loss, right? Well, <laughs> still working on that. Yeah. And she's 10. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess... In summary there, you didn't mummify your placenta, right? No. Didn't have any desire to bring it home or put it in a grill or keep it in storage, but I really did want to look at it. And I do think it's partially my inherent weirdness about seeing medical things, and partially I didn't have the baby to eyeball right at the moment. So I just thought, well, maybe should be inspecting something, make sure there's no outward sign of trouble there. Like I knew what I was looking at. I wouldn't. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. I think that's interesting. Like when I was growing up, our neighbor used to go deer hunting and, you know, when they shoot a deer, you hang it in the tree to drain the blood out. And he would, (laughs) sorry, I'm getting macabre here, but he would (laughs) cut the forearms off as part of, you know, preparing the deer and I remember I would pick those up and like move the the joints and watch. You could watch the huh. tendons and stuff shoot out the because <laughs> oh, I just no, wanted to cool. look at the mechanical aspects of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I watched a documentary once about this. Might be another one to add to our list about the body farm in Tennessee, where people donate their body to see how they yeah. decompose in different circumstances, and it helps forensic researchers understand this is how a body decomposes when it's in water or when it's exposed or when it's right. clothed or in a trunk. And all mm-hmm. that data they're able to use to figure out in a real life crime uh-huh. how long a body has been dead, where it might have been moved from, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's this documentary about all these bodies that have been donated by the people who used to occupy them <laughs> to right. this purpose. One of the circumstances, one of the little experiments they had set up was taking severed limbs Mm -hmm. and burning them. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they burned whole bodies at some point too. But what they were trying to figure out with this experiment was how to determine whether in a, in a house fire, how to determine whether a body died in the fire or was murdered and then burned. Okay. You know, because a lot of times murderers will set a house fire to try to cover up what they've done. And so the visual that I remember from this documentary was just like a big campfire, just like a, you know, in the middle of Tennessee, just a mm-hmm. lovely campfire under the stars, but with arms and legs piled onto it. Mm-hmm. And there was something in the mechanics of when the muscle heats up, the arms bend a certain oh, way. It that contracts the muscle? like It contracts the muscles, like yeah, so the that moisture while out you're maybe. watching it burn, it looks like this thing is making a fist and mm-hmm. flexing. Mm. which is freaky deaky to watch. But, and I don't remember how that helps them determine whether it was obviously the one they got was already dead. I don't remember what the result was that would be able to help them understand whether an arm had been burned alive or burned after death or whatever. But that visual was really crazy. Just a big pile of arms and legs kind of looking alive just because the mechanics of bending is just a purely chemical response. You know, that's I find stuff like that fascinating too. the whole forensic science aspect of trying to figure out these crimes and solve mysteries. Patricia Cornwell wrote a book when I was younger and read it, you know, about the body farm. And that was the first time I ever remember hearing about it. And Mm. I've always thought it was very fascinating. And some podcast that I listened to talked about it recently, too. And I don't remember (laughs) which one it was. There's so many podcasts. Gosh, I, was it criminal? Do you listen to criminal podcast? Yes. 
I think yes, it was criminal. I, I think it was criminal. There was something about she had to put little booties on to walk around and that she thought it was to protect the area from anything she might bring in. And he said, no, it's to keep you from getting blood and guts in the minivan yeah. when you get back in. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Gross. Yeah. And yeah, that I remember was in there California, was a part of that right? Where she was like, no? this isn't so bad. And then they turned a corner and she was like, oh, my yeah. dad threatened for a long time. Threatened. I mean, he thought it was a great <laughs> idea. And it really, in theory, is a great idea. He yeah. thought this would be a great thing to do with my body after I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And my mother was like, hell no. She did not like the idea at all. Oh. And my sister and I were like, you know, think of it as daddy's a very science-minded guy. Yeah. Um, and this would be a way for him to kind of help science even after death. You know, it yeah. would be a way for him to still be involved in things he finds interesting after death. And she was yeah. like, nope, nope, nope. I don't like the idea. No. Mm-hmm. And so finally he gave it up and decided he wasn't going to do it. Because then we got on his case and said, if you're really hell bent on doing this, you need to start the paperwork now. We can't yeah. just drive you up there the day after you die <laughs> and drop you off. <laughs> you have to commit to this on paper while you're still of sound mind and body. And yeah. he was like, no, no, your mother doesn't want me to. So, Aww. But so watching that documentary helped me feel a little more on board with it. And I hoped it would help her feel a little more on board with it. Like uh-huh. they treat you very respectfully. You know, right. they don't just toss you around and stuff. They really handled everybody, all the bodies they got very reverently and gratefully, but it's not for everybody, I guess. That's true. (laughs) Anyway, boy, we've covered all kinds of territory. (laughs) Yeah, we have. (laughs) Birth and death and toenail clippings. Amputations. Is that our title for the next one? The body farm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I had anything else in my notes about the film. Did you? No, uh-uh. Just, um, I, I highly, highly recommend this one. This is a perfect documentary to me because it starts off with just this salacious kind of hook that you can't ignore. Yeah. And then it blossoms into so much more from there. So highly, yeah. highly recommend. Me too. I loved this so much more than I thought I would. It was surprisingly good. Yeah. I think everyone should watch it. It's really, really good. So you want to end on a high note? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, mine's pretty simple and ties right into what we were just talking about. <laughs> Uh, But I went to a local beef farm and bought some of their grass-fed beef bones and made some bone broth about a month ago. And I'm still drinking what I made. But, you know, the process of doing it, and I try to drink a little bit of it every day. And I've since made some chicken, too. But I really, I think I feel better, actually. People say that it's good for your arthritic joints and it's good for your hair and your nails and stuff. But I feel better good drinking it so I'm gonna keep doing it and the bones themselves were pretty interesting oh yeah what we were just talking about yeah because could you tell what was what you could Um, they gave Mm. me a it was a huge like vacuum sealed bag and so I had Mm. like a knee bone and you don't think about how big beef knees are (laughs) yeah that would be huge so it was the joint and of course they had scraped off most of the meat there was a little bit of meat still left on the bones but the tendons and everything are still there so you're Uh able to just like i was talking about with the deer hoof you're still able to bend it and watch it in action without it being obscured by the skin and muscles so i don't know it's kind of neat but then having made the broth i did it three ways i have an instant pot and then a big pot for the stove and then a slow cooker and i thought by using an instant pot i would get a head start but it really didn't work out as well the ones that turned out the best were the ones from the stovetop and the slow cooker and i basically just cooked them for two days 48 hours and at night i would put them in the fridge and just pull them back out the next day and turn mm-hmm. off the stove if i left to go somewhere and then just turn it back on when i got home so it basically made when it's cool this beef jelly because Mm. it it contains all of the collagen and the gelatinous stuff like you know when you fix a chicken or a roast and you have leftovers and you put them in the fridge and the next day you get them out to heat them up and you've got that jelly jelly stuff on it yeah yeah that's basically what i have when you make jello even as a dessert isn't it derived from animal bones you are correct yeah Yeah. Yeah. unless you use the vegan yeah so it's amazing to me because I have these jars of beef jelly and when I heat them up, 
you know, they just turn into a liquid, a nice savory liquid. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just, it's been an interesting process. Yeah. So you showed me when I was at your house once, you pulled out like a cup of the broth and uh-huh. showed it to me and it was just kind of like, like a, <laughs> it looks like, <laughs> like, like apple a jelly. jelly jiggler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you, but you pop that in the microwave. What I've been doing is microwaving water in a glass container and then I put the jar down into the water and that way the microwave doesn't destroy any of the nutrients because you know microwaves will have pockets of heat yeah right Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's, and then um, once you get it back down to liquid, you just drink that. Yeah. I've just been taking like three swigs a day. I don't know what the recommended dosage is, but I'm the uh, only one drinking it. So I drink it out of the jar. The chicken, I think, tastes better, but it's not as gelatinous. You know, I just mix it up and alternate days or whatever. And yeah, yeah. it's good stuff. I don't know. So I don't when know. you when you pulled it out of the fridge to show me, I think that conversation started because I was telling you how great your hair looked. Oh, well, that, that's, that's right. Wasn't I do that, need a haircut your hair still. Looked amazing. And I was like, you've always got great, <laughs> thick, glorious hair. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've got morning hair right now, but <laughs> yeah, now you've got the glorious morning hair, but you've always had really thick, beautiful hair. But on that day, when I saw you, for some reason, it was just like, shiny and bouncy it was like disney princess hair <laughs> oh and i thank just you. <laughs> complimented on you in that on that and you said oh let me show you why i, feel I mean like it's, it's got to be difference. related because collagen and all that is good for skin and hair and nails right yeah well you wonder how much makes it past the stomach because of the your stomach acid you know i wonder how much mm-hmm. actually because I don't know. I think some must because I do feel like my nails and my hair are stronger. And Mm -hmm. I've really struggled with weird hair ever since, basically ever since I gave birth. My hair, I felt like I never recovered and was just weird and wiry. And Mm -hmm. part of that too was that we had well water basically ever since I gave birth. So there were a lot of extra minerals and stuff in the water. Yeah. It's hard water. But I feel like it's getting back to more what my hair used to be. So maybe Mm. my body was deficient in something I'm getting from the bone broth. I don't know. But it just makes me feel better. So it could be psychological. Yeah. Well, (laughs) even if the only benefit is shiny, glorious hair, then... (laughs) Totally worth it. But if it's making you feel better, too, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I enjoyed... I wouldn't want to do it every week. So luckily it's lasting a while, but I enjoyed the process of the making of it too. I thought that was, I felt like a pioneer woman. (laughs) (laughs) I'm using every part of the cow. For that long. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, I feel like a a pioneer woman when I just make a simple soup, but I, I don't think I've ever simmered anything for 48 hours. That would make me feel like I'm ready for naked and afraid now. Oh, man. So what's your high note? If mine is the kind of thing that if I were to go back in time to my 25-year-old self, who was really hip and going to clubs and just a cool chick, she would be like, really? This is the kind of crap you get excited about at 42? But it's my grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> We've had an Aldi here for a couple years now. And I've always popped in every now and again and found cool things. Mm-hmm. But because the main grocery store that I usually go to is closed down for, it's been bought by another chain. And so it's closed down for these major renovations. I have been going to Aldi more and more. And I have become a huge Aldi fan all of a sudden. I don't know why I didn't get hooked right on them right away. I mean, I was kind of intrigued by them. I was an army brat, and so we lived in Germany for a couple of years, and I remembered the Aldi brand from there. Yeah. But I wasn't, like, head over heels when they came to town. And now, just the more I go, the more I think... They've just got such good produce and such good cheese. You know, all the basic staples. It's all really good and yeah. really cheap. Yeah. And then on top of that, this is going to be kind of a high note within a high note because mm-hmm. on top of the regular staples that you can get from Aldi that are really good and really cheap, they have these things called Aldi Finds. Okay. And every week they bring in some other kind of odd thing that they are only going to carry for that week or maybe another week behind it, but not regularly. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being these things that you're like, Oh my God, this is so good. I want to stockpile it. And last week it was deep fried Twinkies. What? Yeah. Which when I saw it in the circular, I showed it to my husband and I said, okay, these are going to be at Aldi next week. And they're going (laughs) to either be horrible or amazing. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know which, but I feel like it's my duty as a citizen to investigate. And so we got a box of it 
And I looked all over the store for it, like where the little cupcakey pastry yeah. things are. And I was like, yeah. why aren't they here? This is where they should be. They were in frozen food. Oh. And so they come frozen and you pop them in the oven for like six minutes at 350 mm-hmm. or something just to kind of bring it to a normal room temperature. Yeah. And then when they come out of the oven, they are just, they've got the deep frying gives them kind of a satisfying crispness to the outside. Okay. You know how Twinkies are usually uh-huh. just kind of spongy and weird? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do they have like a batter on the outside or is it yes, just it a, was like okay. a like a funnel cake kind of batter? Okay. And then deep fried, I guess just to give it that crispness. Okay. And so it smells three minutes into the oven and it's already smelled like the county fair in our oh, house. It had wow. that like funnel cakey kind of smell. Yeah. And yeah, so then you just you can eat it immediately and it's just it's got this nice crispy texture. And, you know, the filling on the inside, the whole thing is just delicious. So the filling on the inside is still intact. It's not melted. It's not melted. It's perfect. And and I don't know if they have to do some other kind of filling besides what's in the standard Twinkie Hmm. to keep it from getting liquidy and gross in the oven. That's intriguing. I don't know. Some kind of sorcery involved. Yeah. But... They are freaking delicious, and wow. I've never seen them anywhere else, and they're probably gone from Aldi by now because that's how they do, so stop that. But keep an eye <laughs> out for them to come back, or just keep an eye on the Aldi finds in general because there's just all kinds of crazy stuff that comes up in yeah, there. Yeah, good, good. And I don't know if they are related as part of the same company, but there is a bigger, what I'm told is a bigger, fancier version of Aldi. And it's also owned by a German company. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same one as Aldi, but called Lidl, L-I-D-L. Yeah. And they are starting to pop up all over the East Coast now. And so they're going to be coming our way soon. And I'm going to be all up in that, especially yeah. if it's, you know, just the description of a bigger, fancier Aldi. I'm like, okay, I'm there. Because the thing about Aldi is you can't really get everything on your list there. It's not, right. you know, a really exhaustive, comprehensive inventory Mm -hmm. little things like cocktail sauce like it would be hit or miss whether you could find it there or not so you still have to go to your regular grocery store for stuff like that Uh but Lidl sounds like it will be big enough to really contain everything your heart desires yeah and they just announced a couple of weeks ago that Heidi Klum is going to have a fashion line at Lidl Wow, I hadn't heard that. So it might be one-stop shopping for every cool thing you could possibly want. And <laughs> my 25-year-old self would probably be on board with the Heidi Klum fashion line, especially well, if it's cheapity cheap. You know, it's hard not to get excited. I don't care what age you are. It's hard not to get excited about all the big grocery store changes that are coming in our area. <laughs> I know. Why am I geeking out so hard over... Like, it's not just you. Everywhere I go, that's what we talk about. It doesn't seem to matter who I'm talking to. We talk about the opening dates have been announced and, oh, have you seen the construction over on that road? Yeah. And, you and know, one of my friends. it started with Wegmans like two years ago. Uh-huh. I, yeah. You know, my husband is from Western New York, which I guess is the home of Wegmans. And he was always raving about Wegmans. And now they've started to trickle southward. Yeah. And now there's all kinds of things happening suddenly. So yeah, it's like every other week we hear of a new grocery store coming to the area. And I do like Aldi. And but to that point, I feel like there are so many choices and I never end up going to Aldi because I'm always getting groceries at whatever one stop shopping place I'm right. going to. But every time I do go to Aldi, I feel like they're staples. You know, we get organic milk almond milk, Mm -hmm. eggs, and dark chocolate, the prices on those consistently are so much better than any Mm -hmm. of the other stores. Mm -hmm. But it's just making that extra stop, you know, unless we've got some extra time on the way home, I generally will just stop one place and then go home. But I should make more of an effort to go to Aldi because I'm always happy with everything I get there. Yeah, Yeah, I really didn't start going consistently until the big one near us shut down um, temporarily. And now I'm just hooked. So all the staples are really good. And then those little surprises in the middle. And they just always have something new. And I really like, I remembered this from living in Germany. This was standard procedure there. I really like that you have to stick a quarter in to get the cart (laughs) Yeah. And then I see people get huffy about that. I'm like, no, you get the quarter back. It's not, you're not paying. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And then when you return it to the proper place, boop, it spits your quarter right back out at you. That is brilliant. And you're tired of seeing shopping carts flying all over parking lots. It makes me crazy when I see people just look around and ditch it in the parking space. Yeah. Or push it home. You know, you see them on the side of the road. (laughs) 
<laughs> or yeah. in in the next door down's parking lot. You know, nobody's going to go get that. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Or you turn into a you know parking space you've been hunting around for, and then you get halfway into it and realize there's a shopping cart there. That stuff makes me crazy. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I appreciate that German orderliness. Yeah. <laughs> Wanting to have all the carts where they're supposed to go. Right. And. Uh, and it's there's always every time I go to Aldi, it seems like there's somebody approaching the carts who isn't familiar with the system. Mm-hmm. And then I always see somebody else who is a total stranger to them, you know, just kind of explaining it. We, you know, it's not a complicated thing, but you, if you yeah. stand there looking at it like, uh, what do I do? Uh-huh. It's nice to have somebody there going, oh, you just pop your quarter in. And then more than once I've seen people who encountered someone who was totally unprepared for the system and didn't even have a quarter on hand and they just give them a quarter like here Mm -hmm. just pass it pay it forward to the next guy who looks confused and i've seen people actually give their cart to someone coming in so they didn't have to go through the whole quarter thing and my daughter loves doing the quarter punching the quarter in and getting it and then putting the cart back and getting the quarter back she loves doing that yeah and i've seen on etsy there are people who make little stitched keychains that say Aldi on them and they have a little notch for your quarter to go oh, in. Oh, wow. Isn't that the cutest? I thought you were going to say it was like the exact same diameter and thickness as a quarter that they made so you don't have to use a real quarter. Oh my God, that's brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant because it's, it would be just enough to pop that little thing out of there. Yeah, an Aldi coin. Oh, except that when you go through the line, you end up swapping carts with the cashier. Oh. You know, because they, well, they kind of scan your stuff and drop yeah. it in the cart. But you wouldn't necessarily have to. You, <laughs> you wouldn't have to. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. Write that down. That's- you could charge people, I don't know, nine ninety nine for a fake quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be cute and have a little bird on it. See? Put a bird on it. It's art. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, That's brilliant. Funny. No, this is just like a little keychain to keep it. Because, you know, I always have like a... A, a little tray full of coins in my car but if you yeah. get all the way to the cart before you realize ah oh, crap yeah then it's nice to have it on the keychain <laughs> right there with you that is smart. <laughs> yeah I'll... and it's uh, gotten me into a good habit of keeping my bags with me too i yeah you know had started to develop that habit a while back but i was the queen of forgetting until i had a cart full of stuff and then going oh man now i have to you know, squirrel this away somewhere and run out to get my bags. Yeah. I always remember my bags at Aldi. It just goes hand in hand with the quarter for me now somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good. All right. Well, I'll have to go there more often. Today's episode of dorky things you will enjoy in your (laughs) forties. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for this week. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash documentaries and shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you at documentaries at gmail.com. See you next week. Bye. Bye.